So, I'm just going to be very transparent tonight. I don't even know where this message is going tonight, okay? Um, I know that God has shared a lot with me. I, I don't know how much of it's going to come out and what direction it's going to go, but here we go, all right? We're going to just trust God to lead tonight. 1 John chapter 2, beginning at verse 18, I just want to read these two verses, and that's all we're going to plan on getting through tonight, are these two verses in 1 John, because they're really uh, key to the entire understanding of why John even wrote this book to this group or community of believers in the first place. So just follow along with me as I read these two verses. John writes to this group of believers, children... It is the last hour, and just as you heard that the Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have appeared. We know from this that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us, because if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But they went out from us to demonstrate that not all of them do belong to us. Um, John has been writing about fellowship and about the importance of fellowship, the necessity of fellowship. And, and fellowship is living in close connection with God and with our fellow believers in Jesus Christ. But here, obviously, there was a break in fellowship within this community of believers. In fact, this community of believers really has been going through a lot of pain because obviously they had a group, a pretty large group within this community of believers that left them and departed. And this is what has prompted John to really write the entire letter because though he obviously wants to talk about fellowship and the importance of it, he does want to reassure this church or this community of believers. And he wants to reassure them in this way. That as vital and as important and as necessary as fellowship is. That fellowship, biblically, must always be based on truth. In other words, doctrine drives fellowship, you see. And this is such a timely message even for us as a church, but also this can be applied even to us as individuals. Because many times, if we've had people who sort of walked out of our life, like these folks experienced, they went out from them. They didn't stick with them. Or if somebody does that in a church setting, or if somebody that has even done that in your life. You used to be close, you used to be, you know, friends, you used to have some kind of relationship, but they decided, you, you, didn't, you didn't force them to leave, you didn't push them out of your life, they left on their own accord. That many times when that happens, either, like I said, in a church or in our own individual lives, one of the first things we do is begin to question ourselves. And, and begin to think, did I do something? Should I have done something different? And all of that. Now please hear me tonight. I'm not saying that we should not go there at times. And I'm certainly not saying that there 
aren't times where, you know, we should as Christians, even as human beings, uh, accept other people's advice and even constructive criticism. But there's also something else here in play. And that is that John is trying to reassure this group of believers who've been sort of rocked by this group leaving them that they didn't do anything wrong in this instance. That the reason this group left was because this group stood by their belief in who Jesus Christ was. And they were solid on their Christology, shall we say. Their their doctrine was good. And John is saying to them, you can't feel bad about someone leaving your fellowship if that's the case. Because there's going to be people come and go in our lives and even in the life of our church. And just like in this instance, not all of them will embrace what you and I believe, the Bible teaches, nor will they embrace our philosophy of local church and ministry. And therefore, they will come in for a time. They really won't ever get really connected or invested. And they will then, after a while, they'll leave. Because John is saying, if they really belonged to us, if they really had embraced who we were, if they really would have been truly in close connection and fellowship with us, then they would have never left. Now again, notice here, in these two verses I read, they weren't forced to leave. They weren't asked to leave. They departed on their own because this church took a stand, and this community of believers took a stand on who Jesus Christ was. And for that, we should never be ashamed of who we have become. And why I say that this is so important for us, even as a church, is because even down through the history of our church, even in the last six years, there will be people who will come in who try to change, if you will, who we are to accommodate them and what they believe. And we have got to remain true to who we are, whether people come and go. Because those who come and eventually attach themselves to us are going to be those out there that truly embrace what we teach and what we're about. And so they'll they'll stick. But there will definitely be those who just sort of never really connect on that level. And that's even true in our lives as well. And so let's examine this a little bit tonight and uh, see what John here is saying in detail that might really help us and even apply to our individual lives. That's sort of the, that's the overview. That's the, that's the helicopter view of these two verses. Let's get in a little bit more to the telescopic view of these verses. Before we do, let me ask this question. Does the church exist to accommodate everyone's beliefs or views? Or does the church of the Lord Jesus Christ exist to affirm the truth of God? Thank you. See? And and that's really what John's getting at here. The church was not 
created by Jesus Christ and built up by him to accommodate everyone's views. That's not what the church is. That's what the church has become many ways in our modern day and age so that more and more people can feel comfortable in, in a church. But that's not what the church is about. The church has always been about affirming the truth of God. That's why Paul told Timothy, this young pastor, make sure that your people know that the church that you are a pastor of is the, is the support, if you will, and bulwark of the truth of God. And that's what John is really affirming here as well. So notice he starts out with a word that he's used throughout this letter so far and will continue to use. It's the word children. It is a word that means one who is learning or a student in training. Again, it reminds us that no matter how old we are physically, how long we have known the Lord or walked with God or all of that, that all of us still from, from a perspective that we should always adopt, is that we're all still children because we're all still growing up. And we all still have much to learn. And we are all still students in training throughout our lives. And, and it goes back even and ties into the message Sunday from 1 Thessalonians of why we need to never stop growing and always keep growing in our faith and never being satisfied or become complacent or lethargic or apathetic in our spiritual life. Because when we do, we'll go backwards rather than forwards. And so that's obviously taught here in the word children. And then he says, children, it is the last hour. He means from God's perspective... We are nearing the end. And notice something. In the Bible, if you study this, you will note that from God's perspective, it has been the last hour since Jesus first came. And from the time of Jesus' first advent in Bethlehem to the time He returns again, that time is considered the last hour. Now think about it. If John is saying that 2,000 years ago, soon after Jesus ascended and went back to heaven, that that was considered nearing the end, how much closer are we today? My opinion, we're not in the last hour, we're in the last minutes before Jesus returns. I, I know there are many Christians that say, well, but see, they've been, they've been talking about this for a couple thousand of years. Yeah, but if you understand what the Bible's teaching here... It's saying that from God's economy, the way He marks time, that when Jesus first came, that started, in God's mind, the last hour in God's timetable. So we've really been in that last hour for 2,000 years. And John's even going to tell us why it's nearing the end. Another thing that this phrase, the last hour means, is that it reminds us of the limited opportunity that we have while we're alive. That we are nearing the end of our opportunity to make a difference in this world and to be a positive spiritual influence uh, and an inspiration in other people's lives. And so that's important too. And so he says, children, it is the last hour. And just as you heard, 
The word heard is important. It means to learn something through listening. And especially in the New Testament, it usually refers to learn something by listening to God's voice. And it can be God's voice through a teacher, a pastor, through the Word of God, through the Holy Spirit. But it's usually speaking about, again, learning through listening. And there again is that importance of not only ongoing learning, but the importance of listening. And these folks have already learned through listening, he says, that the Antichrist is coming. Now, even those that don't know God, they know about the Antichrist. Hollywood has made many movies over the years about the Antichrist. Um, People are fascinated by the Antichrist. And John is saying, you know, you've learned this, that there is coming a figure in history called the Antichrist. And he is going to one day appear on the world stage. But notice what he goes on to say. But so now, at present, even in John's day, 2,000 years ago, John says, many, a great amount of Antichrist have appeared. So let's understand what the Bible means when it uses the term Antichrist. This term actually has two sides of meaning to it. It can mean one who is opposed to Christ or is against Christ. And that's a lot of the time the way people view the Antichrist. Is that he will be one who opposes Christ and who is against Christ. But when you study the concept of the Antichrist in the Bible, you find that the more uh, meaningful uh, term, or the way this term is used, is to look at it as one who is instead of Christ. One who is in place of Christ. One who is a substitute for Christ. Or you could even say one who seeks to replace Christ. And what that really then speaks to us about and why then we can begin to understand when John says, yeah, you know the Antichrist is coming. And even Christians get all, you know, sort of caught up and mesmerized by the Antichrist. But he's saying to us, even 2,000 years ago when he was still alive, there's already many Antichrists who've appeared. And if that's true 2,000 years ago, Again, John is saying, being that this is nearing the end, that this will only increase. That there will be more and more antichrists. And he's simply saying that there are more and more ways, if you will, for people to replace Christ in their life. To substitute out Christ. To, to put someone else or something else in place of Christ. In other words, it's reminding us of, again, who do we think Christ really is? Who do we believe He is? Do we believe He should occupy a certain place? And is there anyone that can really take His place? See, the spirit of the Antichrist that John talks about in this letter, in fact, go over there real quick with me. He mentions the spirit of Antichrist in 1 John 4, verse 3. 
Notice he says, every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard is coming and now is already in the world. That spirit of the Antichrist was already in the world 2,000 years ago. And it's only continuing to increase as, again, we get nearer and nearer the end and the return of Christ. And simply what he's saying is, the spirit of the Antichrist is when we get to a place where Jesus Christ and who we believe He is, and what we believe He is, is not sufficient. That that He is not the all in all. That the spirit of Antichrist even will say this. See, See, many people, when they think of Antichrist, they think of someone so evil and wicked that it's almost easily identifiable. Like, ooh, you know, back. But the way Satan works throughout the Bible is much more subtle than that. And and the way Satan has been working, sort of, you know, propelling the spirit of the Antichrist through the world for the last couple thousand years, is not so much coming out just against Christ in a clear-cut way. It's almost more like, it's okay to have Christ. In other words, I'm not going to threaten you wanting Christ in your life, but how about this too? Because Christ isn't sufficient. You, you, you can't look to him for everything you need, so, so you, you need to add this. And you need to have this. So it, what it ends up being is it, it ends up forming into what I've sort of adopted and how I look at this is, is a Christ plus philosophy. That, that the spirit of Antichrist and, and why many Antichrists exist is many people would say, oh, if you want to have Christ in your life, that's fine. They, they, won't, they won't balk at that. But then maybe in the very next breath, they would say, but you need this too. Because Christ isn't enough. You've got you to have something besides Christ. You see And anything that begins to chip away at the sufficiency of Jesus Christ and who He is and what He offers is the spirit of Antichrist. Anything or anyone that you and I put in place of where Christ should be, that's the spirit of Antichrist. Anyone who takes the place of Jesus Christ, anything that takes the place of Jesus Christ, is the spirit of Antichrist. Because it's basically saying, Jesus Christ really isn't the most important person in the universe. He really isn't deserving of my worship. He really isn't my all in all. He really shouldn't be my first love. And even if I have Jesus Christ, in order to really be fulfilled and satisfied in my life, I need other things. What that does is then that basically says that Jesus isn't enough. That, that I can have Jesus, but I need other things or other situations and circumstances in my life in order to be happy or fulfilled or satisfied or whatever. See, all of that can basically be thrown into the drawer of the spirit of the Antichrist. It's all part of that and parcel of that. And that's why John is saying... You heard that the Antichrist is coming. Don't get so, you know, consumed about the Antichrist. Be more concerned that that spirit of the Antichrist and that many Antichrists have already entered into the world and they are 
They are seeking to take the place of Christ. They are seeking in some way to diminish who He is in your life and in my life. And John says that's what we need to continually be aware of in our lives. Because this, again, this spirit that already exists is very prevalent. If it was prevalent in John's day, again, I go back to that, 2,000 years ago, soon after Jesus departed and went to heaven, how much more prevalent is it now 2,000 years later? Where Satan and the demonic forces have had even more time to ramp up and really lay the groundwork and the foundation for the Antichrist when he comes. That's why you can so clearly even see it even in the world in which we live and in our own country and all of this. There is groundwork and a foundation being laid for this one world ruler. That the world will look to. And John says, well, guess what? That spirit already exists. Because... People are always looking for that Savior. That someone that can come in and straighten everything out. And yet, John is saying, isn't the message of the Bible and God's revelation that that's only Jesus Christ? (laughs) Only Jesus Christ is the answer. Only He's the one. That there is no human being. There is no entity. There is nothing of this earth that can do that. Only Jesus Christ can do that. And so, notice then John goes on in verse 18 to say, then we know from this that it is the last hour. We know, John says, that we are nearing the end because of the, again, many antichrists. Not because the antichrist has appeared, because he won't appear until the end. In fact, my personal opinion and belief and conviction is that the Antichrist will not be revealed on the world stage until after the rapture, which means we won't even be here to see the revelation of the Antichrist. That's why when a lot of Christians are like worried about who the Antichrist is and trying to identify him, I'm like, why do you care? You're not even going to be around. You see? But what we do need to be concerned about is that there are already many Antichrists in the world. And the spirit of Antichrist already exists. I want to go back for just a moment. And I want to look at a couple verses. I want to start in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 10. Because when you start to think about this, you think, wow. These people left that community of believers over, over basically Jesus Christ. Yeah. And Jesus predicted this. See, many people, again, have the erroneous view of Christ. Uh, Matthew chapter 10, verse 34 is where I'll begin here in just a moment. But let me say this first. Many people have this erroneous view that because Jesus is called the Prince of Peace in the Bible, that that's referring to the fact that Jesus is trying to you know, get everybody to get along. And that's, that's what we should be about. Just making sure that everybody gets along with everybody. That's what the church should be about. Let's just get along. Let's not care about what we believe and what doctrine and what the truth is. Let's just all lay that aside, which is what many Christians and organizations and churches are doing today. 
Doctrine is diminished. The Bible is marginalized to the side. And we don't, it doesn't really matter. Let's just all try to come together and get along. The problem is the Bible teaches that real fellowship, real close connection has to have a foundation to it. And the foundation of our close connection with one another is our doctrine. It's what we believe, especially about Jesus Christ. When the Bible refers to Jesus as the Prince of Peace, it's primarily talking about that Jesus came to be the one to bring peace between God and men. Not between men and men. Now one day, He will set up an earthly kingdom where there will be peace. But that's much in the future. So notice what Jesus says in Matthew 10, verse 34. He says, do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I've not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will be the members of his own household. See, Christ divides. Christ divides. He doesn't bring together because if you and I take a stand on Christ, then that's going to divide relationships. If we stay true to who Jesus is, then there's only so much fellowship that we can have with somebody who doesn't embrace what we believe about Jesus. It doesn't mean we can't be their friend doesn't mean we can't have some association with them. But again, remember, fellowship is this word that many times we don't understand even as Christians. It's talking about a real, real close connection. And John is simply saying, you and I as believers in who Jesus is, we can't really have a close connection with those that don't embrace the same things that we do about Jesus. That's why sometimes I scratch my head when I hear Christians say, My best friends aren't even believers. I'm like, first of all, I'm like, that's pretty sad. Because if your best friends aren't even believers, that means you can only get so close to them if you're a Christian. Because how much can you really have, again, in common with those that don't even believe that Jesus is the Son of God? I mean, again, you can be their friend. You can have an association with them. But we're talking fellowship here. And what the Bible's teaching is there's only, you can only get so close to somebody that way. That's why the Bible teaches that we as brothers and sisters in Christ, we should be so close to one another. Because what we believe about Jesus should be that thing that sort of binds us together and glues us together and what we have in common. We believe the same about Jesus. But when people don't, it divides. Obviously, we even see on a much less scale how things divide people. You know how much I love the Civil War, and yet that whole climate that existed back in the middle 1800s divided our country. And look at our country now. 150 so years later, we are a divided country. Because truth divides people. And if you believe in truth, 
then obviously it's going to bring division. And that's what John's trying to get at back in 1 John. So you'll notice, then back in 1 John verse 19, John is saying, yeah, they went out from us. Now again, they weren't forced out, they weren't asked to leave, they departed and left on their own. By the way, another time that this word depart, leave, or went is used in the New Testament, it was used in connection with Judas departing that night that he betrayed Jesus and left the band of the disciples and Jesus. And again, there's a great example too of someone who came in, they physically were with the disciples and with Jesus for several years. But obviously, Judas never really bought in to who Jesus was and never really belonged. Part? Yeah. But not really a part. And that's what's happened here. These folks went out from this community of believers. And notice something again, too. This difference of opinion about Jesus Christ didn't come from outside the church in. Notice John very importantly says, they went out from us. So they were already in the church. Which reminds us that again, we have to be true to what we believe and we have to be true to ourselves and who we are as a church. If there are those that come and they want to embrace that too, we will always welcome anybody with open arms. But we cannot change fundamentally who we are and what we believe to accommodate everybody else. Which means, just like in this case, they may come for a time, but there may also be a time where later on they leave. Because they no longer can basically be in that environment where we're standing up for things that they don't buy into. And that's what John is saying here. To illustrate this, keep your finger in 1 John for a moment and go back to the book of Acts, where Paul, warning the Ephesian elders about this very thing, says this in Acts chapter 20. As he's saying goodbye to the Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20, Notice what he says in verse 30. He says, Even from among your own group, men will arise teaching perversions of the truth to draw the disciples away after them. Paul's not saying, Oh, watch out for people outside coming in. No, no. He says, Watch out for those from within your own fellowship who begin to teach things that are contrary to what you believe. That's the danger. And this isn't the only place that this is taught. If you go over then to the very next to last book of the Bible, the book of Jude, notice that this is what Jude is all about. In Jude, verse 4, where Jude writes, For certain men have secretly slipped in among you, meaning they have become part of the community of believers. 
Men who long ago were marked out for the condemnation I'm about to describe. Ungodly men who have turned the grace of our God into a license for evil and who even deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. See, this is why the church is said to be the protector of God's truth. It's part of what, especially me as the pastor, I'm charged with. When I was ordained as a pastor, I was charged with protecting the doctrine of the church and with the teaching of the Word of God at whatever church I ever pastored. Because there's always that tendency for that which is not, doesn't line up with the Word of God to be taught in a way that somehow diminishes Jesus or diminishes the revelation of God. And we, as Christians, are to protect that so that we can pass that baton on to the next generation without any kind of compromise, you see, to it. That's what John is concerned about here. So then back to 1 John chapter 2, verse 19. John says, They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. That's important. They were part of us for a time, but they never really belonged. They never embraced us, John said. They never really ingratiated themselves in with us. They never really were in true biblical fellowship with us, living in close connection. Because John goes on to say, if they had belonged to us, if they truly had invested in us, in in what we were all about, then John said, they would have remained with us. You see. But John said, they didn't continue with us. They didn't stay with us. Because they really weren't glued because something changed. Either what, you know, what can happen is sometimes the leadership can get off track or the church can change in its priorities or its teachings. Or the church stays true to what it's always taught and the people who come in go, they, they, they're there for a time. It's like, nah, That's not what I want. And part of the problem today, especially, is there are a lot of people who, they come to a community of believers or a church, whatever, and they move on after a time because if they were truly honest with them, with their own selves and transparent, they would even tell you and admit, because I've had some do, they don't even know what they're looking for. They don't even know what they're looking for in a church. So how can they ever really get to a place where they feel like they belong when they don't even know what they're looking for in the first place. And that's what John is talking about here. So he goes on to say this. They went out from us to demonstrate, to make perfectly clear, to thoroughly have everyone understand that all of them do not belong to us. Now again, what John here is reminding us of, especially in this passage, is the fact that fellowship is something God calls us to. 
God says we need to live in close connection. But that fellowship cannot be maintained at all costs. That there is something sort of even higher in the food chain, if you will, with God than fellowship. And that is truth. That is right doctrine. So again, that's why the church does not exist to accommodate everyone's views. The church exists to affirm the truth of God. And if our belief of who Jesus Christ is doesn't sit well with other people, you know, they can come in for a time, say, and tolerate what we teach and all of that, but after a while go, yeah, you know what, that's, that's not for me. I mean, I've even had people tell me the Oasis is too much Bible. I, I need less Bible. I'm like, I don't understand that, but okay. You know, again, their choice. But John is saying, don't always question yourselves when someone walks out of your life. Because maybe all that happened was you stayed true to who you were. You stayed true to what you believed. And the reason that they departed and they left is not because you pushed them out, not because you asked them to leave, but they no longer could sort of tolerate being around you in such a close way because of what you believe about Jesus and his word. And Jesus said that very thing. Let me take you to that passage in ending in 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14. And then we'll move on from here next week. And if you're looking for sort of a backup scripture to everything John talked about tonight... Just read the little book next to this of 2 John. Because 2 John is a short letter where John is basically saying it's really all about the truth. It's all about truth. And you can't have real biblical fellowship unless you share the truth with one another. You just can't. That's what biblical fellowship is. Again, can we be friends with people that don't share Every, every view that we have, absolutely. Can we have associations with people that don't share our view of Jesus and all of that? Absolutely. But biblical fellowship is being glued together in such close connection because what we believe about Jesus and what we believe about the Bible sort of just ties us together. You see? In a way that even if, say, Christians do move away even from each other, there's still that bond that exists between us because we share the same beliefs, if you will. Now look at this, these couple verses where Paul's encouraging this young pastor Timothy about what the church is all about, beginning in 1 Timothy 3, verse 14. Paul says, I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these instructions to you as a young pastor. So in case I am delayed to let you know how people ought to conduct themselves in the household of God, because 
It is the church of the living God. And then here's this last phrase. The support and bulwark of the truth. That's what the church is. We are to be a protector and, and, and proclaimer of the truth of God. That's what the church is to be about. It's to be a place that where if people want to know what the truth is, the church should be the place where they can find it. I said this was going to be the last one, but hang in there with me. Take what Paul just said there in 1 Timothy 3, and then one last time go over to 2 Timothy chapter 4. Because this ties in even to what John's been talking about in 1 John. So again, Paul's telling this young pastor, hang in there. So note, I'm just going to begin in chapter 4 of 2 Timothy verse 1. I solemnly charge you before God in Christ Jesus, who's going to judge the living and the dead, and by this appearing in His kingdom, preach the message. Be ready whether it is convenient or not. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and instruction. For there will be a time when people will not tolerate sound teaching. They will not be interested in the truth. Instead, following their own desires, they will accumulate teachers for themselves because they have an insatiable curiosity to hear new things. And then don't miss verse 4. And they will turn away from hearing the truth. That's where we're at. In a sense, that's part of the spirit of the Antichrist. I don't want to hear the truth. I don't want going to church to be about hearing truth. I want church to be what I want it to be. I want it to be primarily a social organization where I can get together and just have activities with people. That's not what the church of the Lord is to be about. We are a support and bulwark of the truth of God. Because it is the truth, as Jesus said, it is only the truth of God that sets us free. Jesus said, you shall know the truth, and the truth sets you free. And so, unless we really want to experience the freedom that can only be found in Christ, then we don't share truth. But if we want to experience freedom and forgiveness and joy and peace and all of these wonderful things that are the fruit of the Spirit, then we have to keep getting in and digging into the truth of God. Let's pray. Father, thank You. for giving us Your truth. And for reminding us tonight, God, that as important as fellowship is, truth is what fellowship is built on. It's what we as Christians, Lord, share with one another. We believe that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, the Anointed One, the Son of God, the Savior of the world. We believe that He is the all-sufficient Savior. That if He is our shepherd, we lack nothing. That we are complete in Him. That we don't need Jesus plus anyone or anything to be complete. That Jesus is the one who completes us. 
that He is the one who is our all in all. That He alone fulfills and satisfies the deepest longings and desires of our soul and our spirit. And so God, tonight, may we reaffirm who we believe You to be and who we are in You and even who we are with one another tonight, God, so that we can even become closer together. Because, Lord, we share, we share what we believe about You with one another. We have that in common, God. And God, help us never to to lose that. That no matter how many people stop wanting to hear the truth and turn away from it, no matter how many people may leave our church or any church or any community of believers because they don't want to hear the Bible anymore, help us, Lord, not to question standing upon Your truth and who we are and what we believe. That certainly we always need to be open, as we've said, to to constructive criticism and to advice and to suggestions. And there's always things, God, that we as a church and even individuals, we could do better and improve as we talked about even Sunday. But God, there's also that principle that you share with us tonight that, that no matter sometimes what we do, that if we stand with you, Jesus, if we stand on you, Jesus, that you have told us you will divide people That you came not to bring peace between people, but division. Because God, you're divisive. The the very thought of who you are and what you are divides people. We either believe that you are the Son of God, or we believe that you are a, a liar or a lunatic. But God, every human being has to come to grips with who Jesus is. And God, based upon what we believe and who we believe you are, that's what brings us into fellowship with one another. Help us never to lose that foundation, God, in our lives. Help us to be confident about that foundation. These things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for being here, guys. We'll see you on Sunday or next Wednesday.